Hello, dear listeners. I hope you enjoy this recorded Twitter space. The audio, of course, uh, is not to usual podcast standards because it is a live event, so please excuse that. Also, friendly little reminder that if you enjoy this show and would like to support it and hope it survive and thrive, please do consider subscribing via Patreon. And hey, leave an Apple podcast or Spotify review if you're feeling very generous. Uh, And if you're on YouTube, give it a like and subscribe. These things all go a long way in helping. Anyway, I have got some great Patreon-exclusive episodes on the way, too, and a Patreon-exclusive post just for February titled Black History Month with Sam Harris. Do check it out if you're a patron, and if you're not, hey, consider becoming one. Yeah, well, thank you, everyone, for joining us for this extremely lighthearted topic of dystopian propaganda and uh, TikTok war crimes. Like, how horrendously 2024. Fuck. There is some, like, just horrific, horrific stuff floating around. Like, I, I just could not have imagined how blatant it would be like after you know the world has gone through these types of things before there's been study of like genocides and people have commented there's been academic research on what kind of rhetoric and like we've done this and we're doing this again and we are now live streaming it right into people's handheld devices it's extremely messed up what do you say jack yeah uh, yes indeed um genocide and social media genocide on social media as you say what could be more 2024 right and um yeah so i just have a few things that i thought we could talk about maybe we can start with some like zionist influencer stuff there's this guy called Dr. Eli David, and he posts the most horrific, like, Nazi-esque cartoons that I've ever seen. There was one in specific that I wanted to discuss with you, Jack. It was the one where there's a Palestinian depicted as a rat. Here it is. Okay, yeah. I'm sad to say that I know the one. Yeah. So standing on top of the rubble with this like sign that says we are winning is this like kefir wearing rat. Like yeah. words fail me. Yeah. I mean, it says it all. You know, I feel like commentary isn't even necessary. It it, it says it all. Um, the One of the ironies of that image is that it, depicts the devastation that has been inflicted on Gaza in in a way that, you know, a different kind of propaganda would try to avoid that or hide it or sanitize it, whereas this just 
shows you Gaza in ruins and it shows you in the background. It shows you dead bodies, which I think are human bodies. So I'm wondering how I'm wondering how things work in in this particular fantasy world. But never mind. Um, that's me getting all, all nerd and, and uh, worrying about the world building when I should be thinking about the politics. So yeah, you. This is the kind of propaganda that isn't denying the atrocity. What it's saying is, yeah, we did the atrocity and the atrocity is justified because these people are not human. Right, and they they think they're winning, but actually we're winning because look at all this destruction that we inflicted. And I will link this tweet in the thread of tweets under this space, and I'll link it in the show notes. So if anyone wants to know what we're talking about, you can have a look at this horrendous image. The implication of the image, as you say, is that, you know, the, the, the Palestinians want the devastation. They want to be attacked on some level. Which is something that I've heard time and time again uh, from yeah. our favorite intellectual, Sam Harris, who claims that, you know, this is this is what they want. This is what Hamas wants. This is all Hamas propaganda. They want more violence. They want more death. I mean, like, Hamas is a terrorist group, for sure. But, like, the extent of this devastation, I don't know if anybody would want, like... <laughs> And we've seen how Hamas is used interchangeably with Palestinian, right? So, like, literally anyone is Hamas. UN is Hamas. So, uh, hospitals are Hamas. Yeah. It's it's exactly like Nazi propaganda films from the 30s that specifically likened Jews to rats that, you know, just said that. I mean, they, they, they get so upset when you make the comparison, and yet there it is. I mean, it's right there. They're doing it deliberately. Yeah, and then it's like, well, how dare you? How dare you make that comparison? And then there's that graphic novel, right, that you and Daniel did a a bonus episode on, I believe? We did a mainline episode about the the, the attempt to take it out of schools. Okay, Uh, Okay. And then we did a bonus episode about the the, about the graphic novel itself yeah so we we covered it in both the uh, the public and the bonus uh, right so tell me tell me a bit more about how mouse compares with images like this or or what the message is because i haven't i haven't fully read it i've skimmed through it so Mm -hmm. yeah well arch beagleman's mouse is a is a masterpiece it's it's justifiably recognized as a as a masterpiece of of that form and it's about the holocaust from a jewish perspective from the perspective of the victims and the conceit of the of the comic is that it makes the the nazis the germans into cats and the, the Jews of Europe into mice within the graphic novel. That's that's how it depicts it. And there's all sorts of interesting, compl- you know, it does that knowing what it's doing. It, it does that yeah. knowing full well that it's playing around with the form of comics and all sorts of, you know, like Tom and Jerry and all this stuff. That's all baked right. into it. It knows what it's doing. So it's it's a complicated piece of work that, you know, there are some criticisms to be made of it, sure. It's also, um, as I say, justifiably a masterpiece. And it's... Um, it's it's a very questioning, thoughtful piece of work about um, uh, the Holocaust and the, the the Jewish suffering in the Holocaust, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, nothing like this whatsoever. Right. So, like the opposite message, right? But also kind of playing, I imagine, with that image of dehumanizing, right? Yeah, I think mouse is is part of what it is. Is a rumination on. 
dehumanization of people, representation of people as animals, because that's a big part of how the Holocaust right. happened. Right. Um, and also a, a rumination upon the idea of groups of people as being sort of inherently separated by different natures and things. It's not it's not just repeating that idea, it's subjecting it to a kind of ironic interrogation. Mm -hmm. Whereas what, what we have in, in that picture that Dr. Eli David shared is just straightforwardly um, the, the Palestinians are rats and they they need to be treated the way rats are treated. That's what it, that's what it says. <laughs> right. It's not, um, it's not a complex or ambiguous image. To me right. Anyway. Right. Yeah. And I mean, this is what I'm, I'm trying to understand. Like when this theme has been discussed and talked about for decades. And if you're of Jewish background, you certainly understand how uh, a group can be dehumanized in very dangerous and horrific ways. How, how, how can it be that you like make these comparisons yourself and put out propaganda images like this? Like I remember during the Syrian migrant crisis, like I think 2015, 2016, that's when I was really beginning to wake up to the just like plain fucking awfulness of the new atheist scene, right? Because it switched from like, oh, you know, let's uh, discuss this problematic verse and why are we still legitimizing scripture like this in our day and age today? But then it switched to look at these hordes of insects coming they're like you know they're infecting our countries and coming to rape our women and it was like a magazine that sprung up after charlie abdo like a very new atheist supported by dawkins and all of these people i forget what it's called maybe vive charlie i think it was called vive charlie and they had these horrendous covers where like migrants were depicted as insects and they even had like racist drawings of obama on the inside and like very quickly you can see that this is not about secularism or humanism and during that time gad sad uh, i think you might be familiar with gad sad the d-list idwer um yeah i am yeah <laughs> yeah well, he put not out even, not even good enough to be in the idw is how uh, <laughs> it really is you know like you know rejected <laughs> from the idw for being just too stupid and that tells you everything yeah <laughs> like imagine yeah, i was being... just about to make a similar crack actually about that magazine you were talking about like um you know when charlie hebdo isn't racist enough for you you need right. to do like um, an even more racist version of charlie hebdo <laughs> right right so during that time gadsad put out like some comparisons of muslims being like mosquitoes and the west not having like adequate insecticide to mm -hmm. prevent malaria. And I thought, like, fuck, man, what kind of group of people am I surrounded by? Like, how are these atheists and humanists? Like, and Gad is of Jewish background. So around that time, I was like, well, he should really, of all people, understand how this is extremely not appropriate uh, as criticism. <laughs> of a religion or of a group of people. And uh, yeah, here we are today. We've got 
propaganda like this being pumped out by dozens and hundreds of Zionist influencers. And also, like, the state of Israel itself. It's such a mindfuck. Well, it's not, you know, for, for me, um, it your your ethnicity or your religion or whatever, these are not um, fundamentally where your your view, particularly in particular circumstances, is going to come from. Your view is more likely to come in. It's going to shape it, obviously, because we're all shaped by our background and our families and our culture, etc. But it's more likely to come, particularly in directly political things like this, it's more likely to come from your class position, um, which if you're part of an imperial culture, that's going to be that that's going to, you know, th this sort of stuff comes very naturally to people who are operating within uh, and for imperialist cultures. Uh, it's, you know, to, to be to be very basic about it, it's 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 racism, and racism has always been the the fundamental ideology that makes imperial cultures function, because they're all based upon oppressing uh, populations, and that is, the, you know, the day to day functioning of that, getting people to actually do that, is based upon propagating and internalizing ideologies that, that dehumanize them. Yeah, I don't think that's ever been more apparent in my lifetime than it is today. Like, I have not seen this blatant disregard for an entire group of people ever to this extent in my life. Yeah, I just... Yeah, I have never seen the it Palestinians before. Are at the, they're sadly at the confluence of being people who are um, the, the victims of a, a very widespread form of racism and also at the same time people whose very existence is sort of, you know, historically and in, in an ongoing way, their very existence is very inconvenient for the, the culture of Western imperialism. So they have the bad fortune to be directly at the confluence of that. So uh, Right, yeah, and so many intersections of racism as well, like anti-Muslim, anti-Arab, and specifically anti-Palestinian. Yep. And, uh, yeah, there's another Eli David image. I, I mean, he obviously, I don't think he's made these images, but he certainly shares them with great pride. Uh, this was around when they were doing the five-day ceasefire and the hostage kind of release deal that they had, exchange deal that they had. So he's got an angelic-looking figure in all white-ish and then, like, Satan. Very fucking massively built Satan with, like, a 16-pack or something. <laughs> I don't think that's intentional. But, uh, and then behind this angelic figure is like a bunch of cages, which has little demon, little demon children in it, or little demons in it. And behind the devil figure are these cages that has little angels in it, complete with halos and everything. And then on top of the demon, on top of the big devil, you've got the Palestinian flag, and on top of the angelic jesus godlike figure you've got the israeli flag so basically the implication is that the devil has captured all these little baby angels and this angelic godlike figure has trapped all these little demons so that's what they will be exchanging in the hostage exchange deal i think that's an adapted meme 
Uh, I think the angelic figure might actually be in, originally intended by wh whoever originally created this. It might actually be intended to be Jesus, uh, which is which is ironic. But I think someone's adapted it by putting the flags there, you know, adding right. them to the image. Yeah, um, that wouldn't yeah. surprise me. This is as I much a meme war this. as it is a real war, unfortunately. It's not a war, yeah. but really, it's a genocide, one-sided. But the meme war is definitely ongoing as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, somebody's adapted this to make it into hostages are not morally equivalent. Um, yeah, little devil children and little angel children, which is basically the same rhetoric as Netanyahu, as Sam Harris, children of darkness versus children of light, civilization versus barbarism, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, that, it's, it's the, um, the imputation of inherent nature again, isn't it? The, the Palestinians are just um, demonic, diabolical, inhuman by definition. It's, right. It's fundamentally the same idea. I know you said like you hadn't seen this kind of thing before in your life. And I agree. Like this is like, but that's because social media is a thing now. Right. Yeah. Like, I grew up, you know, I, I was a child of the eighties and nineties. Right. Um, and I remember when the first Iraq war happened, I grew up in the American South and like, there were definitely, you know, what we would now call memes, you know, spread around, um, you know, certain groups that were, you know, just as just as genocidal towards you know Iraqi citizens. You know, it's like it's not it's not focused on Saddam. It's like well, Iraq should just be glassed over, sort of thing. You know, I mean, right, this, is, you know, right. this is what like wartime propaganda does. And like more to the point, in the run up to the second war in Iraq after nine eleven, um, and even Afghanistan, there were certainly like I mean, just rhetoric that is just like people are just programmed by you know, by media to accept, like, you know, just outright on wanton destruction against ordinary people for the crimes of their leaders, like, and however we want to structure that as, you know, like, obviously. And somehow that never media. applies to the Western countries, though. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, and I, we could talk about Sam Harris. I'm happy to talk about Sam Harris, but I think we should save that for a minute, at least, you know. Um, yeah, that's a whole other can of worms. We can uh, yeah. discuss that some other time. Like, I yeah, I don't want to spend the yeah. the space no, no, talking no, no, about no, no, him. No, no. We don't need to. We don't need to spend any more time on Sam Harris. Believe me, uh, Ina and I have discussed this ad nauseum in private DMs. So, uh, you know, not to uh, not to spoil it for uh, for the audience here, but um, yeah, no, I I just I find the that this kind of dehumanization comes along with war and war propaganda. And, okay, so a certain figure who speaks very softly, who is definitely not so humorous, <laughs> right, who, who will be my stand-in for, uh, for other people, right? I think that people differentiate between state violence and terrorist violence, right? Like individual. And so Hamas using paragliders to come and, like, murder civilians, well, that's terrorism. But... Israeli, the Israeli military machine, you know, carpet bombing Gaza. Well, that's just, that's just a response. Like, that's just, of course, like this is, this is because we have like cluster bombs and we have um, an advanced military. And of course, like we're not looking people in the eye and shooting them. Then of course that those murders don't count in the same way. 
And I think this is just a fundamentally like misguided way of viewing it. Like, and um, I don't know, this seems like very basic to me, you know, but it does seem like this is the way that like these people think of it is like, well, if Hamas had <laughs> like, if they had a proper military and were going to like do things in response to like, I don't know. It's just like, it's just, it's such a stupid kind of analysis in my, in my opinion that like state violence just doesn't count. And this is how also, more to my kind of expertise, um, how they justify like police and you know like harsh policing and all that sort of thing. Right. Like, in the in the uh, carceral state. This is this is how this gets justified because well, you're not barbarians. There's paperwork. People get paid. Right. There's a right. There, you know, like like there are logistics involved. People have to like buy water and like all this. Like like and suddenly like it's not barbaric behavior and of course barbaric is a complicated word with complicated histories but it's only barbarism when it's done by the weaker force responding to their oppression and not and not the oppressive force killing 10 times as many 100 times as many a thousand times as many in retaliation right and i don't think i have to say this to this crowd this is not me justifying the events of october 7th or anything that has ever been done it's me pointing out the way the language is used to compare these things, just to be clear. Yeah. The, the trouble is that, um, you know, no, nothing the Palestinians, you know, and God, it's always invidious to, to, to do that, to just talk about the Palestinians or the Israelis. You know, when, whenever I use any sort of term like that, it has to come with all sorts of built-in caveats. I hope I hope, I, I hope everybody knows that. But, you know, nothing the Palestinians could ever do could ever be official or respectable enough, though, could it? Like... Nothing they do is uh, is is ever acceptable. Uh, no matter how many, you know, they have elections, and those elections, are, well, th- those are, those elections are invalid because the people that we don't like won, etc., etc. Well, forget you know, that. No... Even even like BDS is unacceptable. It's criminalized. Yeah. You can't even like boycott yeah. purchasing products. Like even peaceful actions like that are, you know called anti-Semitic and criminalized and people lose their jobs because of it. Whereas supporting this level of state violence will get you applause, will get you maybe a promotion. It's like in fucking upside down world right now. Like, as you were saying, Daniel, I'm sure this kind of rhetoric and all of this stuff has existed in other wars, but it, it feels very uh, firsthand and personal because it is streamed into our handheld devices directly, like every single day before you would have had to maybe watch CNN, which is very uh, editorialized and uh, curated. And now you're getting to see all sorts of things, firsthand accounts that maybe CNN wouldn't want you to see. I mean, I'll admit that I took some time off of Twitter starting in like, mid-October. Um, no, so no, I get that. But you, even you can't, can't escape it if you're off of right. Twitter. If you're on Blue Sky, you're going to see it. If you're on Instagram, well, you're going to see it. I literally, I literally went onto Reddit when just follow. I I follow like communities about like cast iron skillets and like shit. You know, <laughs> I mean, like, um, that's my that's my that's my safe space where I just don't see a bunch of this stuff. Um, so I've been a little bit disconnected from it. Um, right. But also during that period, I was also listening to like full on Nazis uh, cheer on the murders 
for of, of Hamas and like belittle any sense of Israeli or Jewish suffering. So like I got it, but I got it from the other direction. It was just it was hard for me to both do the work that I need to do and like be on social media during uh, during the last few months. Uh, but I'm back, so. Um, yeah. but I'm catching up. So I am now looking at the Eli David Twitter account and oh god, this is uh pretty fucking awful. Um so anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I completely hear you on it being hard to see these things. Like I feel like it's definitely been difficult for me to see and also then talk about and respond to horrendous talking points. Like it just, it feels nauseating to a whole new level. Yeah. So I hear you, but um, let's continue on with some of the images that we have here. Jack, there was also one that is probably also a recycled meme there's like an image of two kind of soldier looking people aiming guns at each other. The one with the Palestinian flag has the stroller in front of him. And the one with the Israeli flag has the stroller behind him. And underneath says a soldier of Palestine and a soldier of Israel. So, We've got, like, you know, the heroic Israeli who would never, ever hurt a child. The stroller is behind him. He's risking his own life to protect the child. And we have the cowardly, barbaric Palestinian who's basically putting the kid ahead of him and using the kid as a human shield. And this, in contrast to what we're seeing in the news, like, I don't know if you read, like, this recent piece by this doctor, um who who just returned from Gaza. He said, like, there were times where parents were carrying in, like, children ages five to eight, each with a, a single sniper shot yes. to the head. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, like, this, I think, Israeli, I, I forget if it was a politician or maybe, like, a newscaster, but someone that is a public figure was saying that children over four are all culpable. Under four are fine. They're innocent. But over four, so like five-year-olds are no longer innocent. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Apparently four is now the age of response, but at least for Palestinians. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... I just, want to interject. I just want to interject. I want to hear Jack's response. I just want to say, this was also something that happened very much during the run-up to the war in Iraq. The propaganda around uh, the the Afghanis and the Iraqis were using human shields to protect themselves, and the all-good American soldiers would not shoot onto children, of course, or bomb children or bomb weddings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right, 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 right. Like, like, I mean, sorry, sorry. I just, I just think it's important to like draw that connection, you know, like, and to say like, I grew up in this shit. I grew up with it. I have seen this happen before. This is not unique to Israel. Like in particular, this is what like warmongering societies do. This is what like Western imperialism is. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm old enough to, like, I feel like I need to just keep pointing that out. So apologies for interrupting, but, like, I think it's important to just emphasize that, 
like, you know, because we're going to get accused of anti-Semitism. And it's like, no, 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 this is imperialist warmongering. This is not. Yeah, but I also want to stress that even though these are repeated themes, I feel like this is unprecedented in some ways. And that's why it's being tried in court as a plausible genocide. So, like, I don't want to back down from from pointing out the uniqueness of that. Like, not that genocides haven't happened before. Right, right. Of course, they've I, happened. I, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%. We're not in disagreement there. And if I'm, if I'm coming across as too confrontational, that's not my goal. I just... No, no, no. I, I, I know you're not. I just want to clarify for the listeners that, yes, these are repeated themes. This is war. This is war propaganda. And this is imperialism. But there is also something very unique and horrendous about this specific situation. 100% agreed. So, uh, Jack, please, uh, I'm sorry I interrupted you because you were probably going to say something very intelligent. He takes the piss no out pressure. of me by complimenting me. I, I don't know. It's a particular... <laughs> he's very good at it. I don't quite know how he pulls it off. Um, yeah, I was going to say something similar, actually, which is that this... I mean, this is the uh, the human shield canard, which is very... Sim- which is very familiar to anybody that's paid any attention to what Israel says for, for any length of time. They they always do this. The state of Israel, the IDF, they always trot out the well. They use human shields, and you know, like well, what- it's official IDF policy. Yes, that's what I was getting to. I mean, the, the reality is is backwards. It, as always with this sort of propaganda, it's it, you, it's the it's it's an exact inversion of reality. Um, time and time again, when you have these outbreaks of outright military uh, violence by Israel upon Gaza, they trot out this same propaganda, and then you get the investigations after it from the human rights organizations, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty, etc., all the others. And they, they pretty much always say the same thing. They pretty much always say, no evidence that uh, Hamas or whoever using human shields. Uh, whereas, of course... We know that there, that is, as you say, it's IDF policy. IDF policy is to target children, as indeed they have in this. I mean, that meme, it would be, it would be more accurate, you know, if firstly the, the, the flags were transposed and then the, the, the soldier representing the IDF was directly aiming the, the machine gun into the crib. You know, that, that would be a more accurate reflection of what it's actually like. <laughs> Right. Like, I mean, we are getting reports of sniper shots to the heads of multiple babies, like five to eight. I mean, five. That's like barely leaving toddlerhood. Who, what kind of person can look through the viewfinder and aim at the head of a child? Well, a person who has been thoroughly indoctrinated into the belief that the people they're killing are not actually people. Um, right, just they future terrorists. They're a lesser form of life. Yeah, nits make lice. I mean, that's what Himmler said. That's what they always say. And the same people who will decry, you know, they rightly decry the horror of what was done at Uvalde, for instance, in the course of making sort of liberal centrist points about gun control and the terrible Republicans and so on, rightly making that sort of critique, mm-hmm. um, they will be supporting this. Not specifically, of course, because they won't be talking about it, but they will be implicitly supporting this. And the difference is implicitly that um, these children, the the particular children whose heads are being blown off in this instance, 
implicitly, they don't count. They're not, they're not human. And this is why, I mean, Daniel is absolutely correct to point out that this sort of thing always goes on in war propaganda, in war after war, going right back. I mean, I've heard it said, you know, to slightly push back against something you said earlier, Ina, that it's never done uh, towards Western countries. I remember hearing stuff like this said about Irish people and Irish children in England. Right, right, right. Uh, Ireland um, is treated this is, not This is what the same. cultures do, and it's... Um, it but gets, are the Irish worse. really white, Jack? Come on, seriously. Well, <laughs> this was a this was a question that uh, had to be debated. You know, when Irish people started turning up in the the racial melting pot in in America, um, when the when the racial order was being constructed, there was a lot of discussion about this. Are they are they white? You know, when you look at the you look at the the cartoons of Irish people and they're depicted yep. as Simeon and stuff like that. This is what imperial cultures do. They they construct. The, um, the racial underlings, the racial subaltons as inhuman, and particularly when they're at war with them. And Daniel's absolutely right about it happening in all these previous wars, um, because these previous wars that we're talking about, Iraq, for instance, these are, um, Im these are imperialist wars conducted... I just meant, I just meant to say white, in the current, white supremacist in the present society. day. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Go on. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I spoke over you. What we're dealing with here fundamentally is white supremacist imperialism. Yeah, and uh, I just meant to say that, you know, in, in the present day or, like, in recent memory. I forget how old I am. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, right, the images like this, like the blatant, like, do you remember the images coming out from Abu Ghraib and the controversy that they caused? Well, this is that's a point I wanted to raise because one of the interesting things about the the, the Israeli propaganda that's coming out in a particular—I mean, this has been going on for a while. That's another point I wanted to get to. It's, it's crowdsourced. It's coming from below. It's coming from like boots on the ground. The IDF soldiers themselves who are committing the atrocities are creating propaganda themselves, and a lot of the propaganda is not to hide or deny the atrocities, but to essentially show them to you and say that they're funny. This is, this is one yeah. of the interesting things that we're in. We're in a completely um, uh, two-faced two barrage of propaganda because it, it's on different levels. What they're saying is, well, there's no atrocities going on. We're, 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 a, we're a moral army. We're not uh, committing war crimes, etc. On the other level of the propaganda, what you could call the sort of the lower level, the, the boots on the ground level, what they're doing is saying, well, we are, uh, and it's funny, and they deserve it. This, this, is, this is the content of loads of stuff that IDF soldiers themselves are putting on TikTok and, and Instagram. Right. And, like, when the images came out from Abu Ghraib, they caused, uh, rightfully, a lot of um, backlash. And they were horrendous, horrendous images. But we are seeing like 50 images comparable to that a day. It's hard to even to like keep them individually in your mind because there's so many. So it's like flooding social media with so many of these images that they kind of like lose the individually horrific nature of each instance of it, because it all blends into one. 
right? If whether they're like posing at the beach, like doing like thirst trap photos and saying like, oh, what a beautiful beach. Like this beach could have been so great if only Hamas didn't like, you know, loot all the aid and they put it to good. They put, if they put the money to good use, then this could have been like a resort. They don't deserve this beach or I don't know if you're thinking, yeah, that's it. Uh, that's what I was going to say. If you're thinking about the same specific instance that I'm thinking about, um, what what that particular person says is, it's a beautiful beach. They don't deserve it. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, that's, that's kind of the essence of the, that's why I sort of semi-prepared something about her to talk about if necessary, which is that remark is really the essence of the, the racist imperial attitude, isn't it? Because it's all based upon the ideology that, you know, they might be here. It might be their land. It might be their home. But we deserve it more than they do because we will make better use of it. I mean, that goes back to the original justifications for colonization that were come up with by people like John Locke, you know, the original imperialist ideologues. It's it's still exactly the same idea, except now that it's being posted, as you say, by thirst traps, uh, IDF thirst trap soldiers on on Instagram. Right, like these are just savages. They don't know what to do with all this beauty and splendor, and they're just not making good use of it. And they're building tunnels and doing terrorism instead. And someone even said, like, imagine what a great place this would be to go surfing. Like, what a waste, right? And there's, like, this famous movie about how surfboards were essentially, like, through the, the the restrictions of things coming in and out of Gaza, essentially banned. There's a lot of really ridiculous things that are banned through that method, right? Like chocolate, cilantro, coriander, as you would call it, Um you know, I read about wedding dresses, like just different little things. Like even now they're making the case that the humanitarian aid truck shouldn't be delivering. I forget if it's like flour or sugar, but they're saying that can be used to make bombs. So we cannot let them have that. And like, so, like, yeah, you know why they aren't surfing more? It's because surfboards are not allowed. It's because surfboards are banned through these restrictions and there's like a movie about it i forget what's called like surfing in gaza or i mean i'll look it up and link it in the in the show notes when i post this but yeah i don't i don't know it's very movie, bleak yeah i mean i remember when it was um uh lead pencils you couldn't import lead pencils because yeah. lead could be used in making bombs or something like that yeah yeah like the propaganda is so blatant and this is why i want to just kind of stress the uniqueness part of it is because we have social media. Like obviously we did not have social media in the way that we do today during the Iraq war, during obviously, you know, world war two, if they had it, I'm sure they would be doing evil TikTok raves as well. There's nothing inherently evil about any group of people, but it's just like, the circumstances that are making this very uniquely horrendous and black mirror-esque, you know, like there's that video of like a zany dinosaur costume soldier, like dancing on top of a tank after like throwing bombs out or missiles out, like with like really bad techno. And there's like raves 
they're organizing raves where they're blocking the humanitarian aid trucks. Yeah, and there's one there's one I saw where a, a, an IDF soldier is um, celebrating his birthday in the field, and he's got like a load of balloons, and behind yeah. him, trussed up on the floor, there's a Palestinian prisoner. Yep. And there's lots of those kinds. Like, there's, like, this yeah. TikTok trend where there's, like, a specific song, a children's song that they thought was funny. And they've got, like, a bunch of, like, Palestinian detainees in the back, gagged and blindfolded. And they're playing this children's song really loud and laughing. Like, TikTok genocide is just such an extremely fucked up thing to watch. Did you see the... um the videos that were posted, I think it was October last year, so they started posting, um, several people started posting, like, um, on TikTok, skits about Palestinians. And uh, they, these were is, Israelis. Firstly, the, the, the racial, the representation of race is interesting. It's disgusting, but it's also interesting the way they've, they've constructed Right, the Arab... Then, yeah. They, 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 this is the Israeli Arab yeah, Arab face, exactly. They've dressed up as Palestinians, which seems to involve, I mean, they put on, like, um, the, the the kefir and things like that. But they also, to, to denote the Palestinian people, they, they thicken their eyebrows. And there's this repeated emphasis on, like, blackening teeth as well. Um, yeah, you imagine, is it because their teeth have, like, been falling out because they don't have medical care, hygiene? Or is it that they're blown off? I don't know, but, like, extremely oh. fucked up depiction. Yeah. But, yeah, the, the series of allegedly humorous videos where you have these people, as I say, playing Palestinians. And the, there's one where a woman has, like, a grapefruit in a, in a, in a blanket or something. And it, it, it has, like, drawn onto it, like, crossed eyes and a downward turned mouth, obviously indicating, a, you know, death, a dead face. So the grapefruit is, like... Um, her dead baby, and she's a Palestinian, and she's she's sort of performing grief for the camera, and then somebody yells, cut, and she just casually throws the grapefruit away. Wow. The implication being, these people don't even care about their own children. Which is another thing that we've heard from IDW intellectuals, whom we shall not name, because they're nauseating. <laughs> but... Yeah. Um, like, it's for another episode. That's that's what that's what this means. It's like we'll do it later. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. We'll we'll do it later. <laughs> yeah. I I mean I've done it enough, but we'll also do it later. Um, but yeah, like the Pollywood. You think that these are like unsophisticated everyday people, maybe dumb teenagers or something? But we're hearing that from so-called intellectuals. This is coming from somewhere. Yeah. Even with the just the the teenagers or the young people doing these quote unquote humorous videos, um, that's coming from somewhere. This these cultural assumptions are coming from somewhere, and they're they're being performed for the you know for the enjoyment of other people in the same culture. And yeah, it's it is like that that um, that crowdsourced um, genocide propaganda from below thing again. Yeah. And it shows a certain kind of mindset that you are willing to put that out in public without even thinking for a second that it makes you look bad. Like, 
it shows something like there's been never any scrutiny on this kind of behavior. It's definitely indicative of some kind of like uh, impunity that this country has enjoyed. Because why would you put that stuff out yourself? Well, 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 they use the atrocity propaganda in order to justify that, right? It's like they focus on the crimes or alleged crimes of Hamas. And I'm not, again, I'm not in any way suggesting that there were not. No, there are crimes. There's definitely crimes. But there were crimes, and then there are crimes that probably did not exist. And I'm not going to justify like, but. Like, but they, but they use like the most blurred examples of that. Yeah. And they so we see, oppression we see of stories. All of Palestine. They use violence against all of Palestine because of a handful of individuals who did terrible things. Right. Um, and this again, <laughs> like it's, it's just, it's just textbook, right? Like, you know, like, Everything I've seen is horrifying, of course, but it is just like, I mean, this is exactly, as you guys were saying, like, this is exactly how, um, you know, Nazi Germany justified their oppression of Jews in the 1930s is like, well, a handful of people did some terrible thing and therefore all Jews had to be like confined to a certain area. And then like, eventually that turns into the final solution. And I think what we're seeing in in Gaza right now is, you know, working towards their first of the final solution, frankly. And that's horrifying. It's just horrifying for me to think about or to say, but like, that's kind of clearly what's going on is they're just saying like, well, we're just gonna use this as a way of eliminating these people one way or the other, whether forcing them into Egypt or, you know, like, I I don't know, like it's, it's just, it's disgusting, and it's horrible to see it in real time. Um, and my stomach turns even talking about it, so I apologize. And it's horrible to see how normalized it is to justify this in polite society. Like, I cannot believe that we can hear people saying, oh, well, you know, it's not a genocide, it's just an ethnic cleansing. Like that's cool. Certain certain people who shall not be named in this episode, but uh, yeah, (laughs) like how how do you fucking say that with such calmness and then be accepted as someone that is a reasonable intellectual, someone that is framed as a reasonable liberal, even like someone as unhinged as Douglas fucking Murray, who is mask off all the time, like. He's been talking about how there are no innocents, right? Like, we didn't worry about that when we were bombing Dresden. Inside the the sphere of um, pro-Israeli apartheid ideology, this is kind of, this is just kind of regular stuff. It's kind of old news. You know, the Israeli historian, the right-wing Israeli historian, Benny Morris, has, you know, he's written about the the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. And he's, he says, yes, it was an ethnic cleansing, but it was good. Um, Alan Dershowitz is an, is, is an example of the, somebody who said essentially the same thing. It, this is, they, they've kind of been saying this since forever. Yeah. And they've been getting away with saying it. There's been no criticism. And if you criticize, you are called anti-Semitic and, 
to me, that is so bizarre, especially coming from the new atheist scene, because it was made such a big deal of, like, the word Islamophobia in itself. And I can agree and understand that Islamic conservatives do use that term, misuse that term, or hide behind that term when there is some very legitimate criticism being made. And they're like, no, 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 it's Islamophobia. Don't look at, don't look over here. But like, to see the same people that made a big deal out of the term Islamophobia just buy into the idea that criticizing the state of Israel and its violent actions is anti-Semitism, just beyond absurd to me. It is absurd, um, objectively, yeah. But it's that um, war on terror, apologia mindset is just baked into the the IDW and its and its roots in the the new atheist thing because that's that's kind of what the new atheist thing always was. It was kind of always a, yeah. an ideological apologia for the war on terror. Um, some of them were clearer about that than others. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. It comes, and, it comes, and it comes by... very naturally to them comes very naturally to them. This is, is the very, um, th this is a way of looking at things that is very uh, based on uh, being white, or, or at least um, part of the white power structure within the imperial center. And when that's you, it, this sort of thing, this sort of double thing comes very naturally to you, I think. Yeah, yeah. Shameless hypocrisy and uh, not even trying to hide it. Let's see, what else? What else do we have here? in this absurd list of things. Speaking of new atheists, we had uh, Bill Maher tweeting out this decade-old recycled bit about this Burqa fashion show, this Islamic fashion show that he thought was so funny, and it's aged just so, so badly that... I can't believe he willingly tweeted it out because it's so unfunny. I think one of his lines were was like, dress it up for morning prayers or dress it down for midnight stonings. Like, ha, 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 Bill, yeah, yeah, those savage Muslimics, they're doing the stonings all day long. And imagine tweeting this decade-old bit out in the middle of a, even if you don't acknowledge it's a genocide, in the middle of a mass slaughter of mostly civilians that are Muslim and being dehumanized, this is what you think is appropriate, just like to pile on? Well, he's, he's so slimy, though, isn't he? He wants to say it without saying it. Always with him, he wants to say it without saying it. So he finds a way of, he finds a way of saying it without saying it by uh, just using this just using his eternal cover, which is comedy and, uh, oh, I'm sorry if I offended you with my comedy, all that sort of thing. Uh, but it's so fucking stale. As you say, this decade-old bit from his his high point in the uh, in the new atheist thing. Yeah, stale is, like, the perfect, perfect word. I don't even understand anybody, like, cares about Bill Maher anymore. He's just so behind the times. Like, even when he does his bigotry, I'm just like... Dude, you're still like ten years behind. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know, every time I listen to him, it's just like, I don't know. Like, it just tells me that, you know, those of us like talking and listening to this uh, Twitter space are like, 
<laughs> much further ahead. And sometimes you just have to you just have to turn your brain down and go like, what was accurate ten years ago? And anytime I listen to Bill Maher, I just have to think like, what was life like in like 2014 or like 2008? And I think that's how I even interpret Bill Maher at this point. <laughs> like he hasn't even caught up to current present day bigotry trends. Yeah, he sucks. But you know what? You know who does really care about him? It's Prig or you. So at least he's got at least he's got them. <laughs> but let's see what else do we have here? Oh yeah, we have some wonderful headlines um from the wonderful country of uh America. Let's see, we had uh Thomas Friedman do uh, a. That's exactly piece. where I was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to talk about it? You can read the headline and the uh, the some of the wonderful quotes or sure. things that he. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to segue in with like a bit about you know going from Bill Maher to somebody on a totally different intellectual level. Uh, we have we have good old we have good old Tom Friedman. Uh, this month, earlier this month, understanding the Middle East through the animal kingdom. And I, the breathtaking inanity, honestly. Just the, opening, the, yeah. opening said, the opening sentence is, is there a better description of Lebanon, Yemen, Syria, and Iraq today? Question mark. A better description of what? That's your first paragraph. You, this is your job. Jesus Christ. The... Is there a better description of <laughs> Lebanon, Yemen, Syria, and Iraq today? I suppose he's talking about the animal kingdom. That's a description now of uh, They are the caterpillars, <laughs> he says. The Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps is the wasp. The Houthis, Hezbollah, Hamas, and Kataib Hezbollah are the eggs that hatch inside the host. Lebanon, Yemen, Syria, and Iraq, and eat it from the inside out. We have no counter strategy that safely and efficiently kills the wasp without setting fire to the whole jungle. So, in, indescribably confused, inane nonsense that just basically leads to, yeah, we're probably just going to have to kill them all. Yep. I mean, that is super fucked. <laughs> super fucked to put in a mainstream publication. Yeah. And how the fuck did that get published? Yeah, don't ask me. I mean, how how is how like, has Tom Friedman not... ever been published? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were talking about comparisons to insects and animals and vermin and wasps and things yeah. like just earlier. Like, you think that a an educated journalist would know better, maybe. He doesn't have he to, would though. Be wrong. He doesn't have to, though, does he? Because it's common currency in the media culture that he's in. Um, speaking about people in, in that part of the world in terms of dehumanizing animal metaphors as if they're just, as if they're not human, it's it's common currency. It's normal. Yep, and, and praised even. I mean, really, all you have to know about Thomas Friedman, you can learn from listening to the If Books Could Kill episode about uh, The World is Flat, which I knew was a terrible book when it was published because, like, I was 20-something years old and had a brain and never read it, but, like, they 
absolutely demolished it. And also, Thomas Friedman is a New York Times columnist, and like once you're a New York Times like opinion writer, you basically get paid to write 800 words once a week about anything that justifies the status quo, regardless of how warlike it is. And that's you know that's Thomas Friedman in a nutshell. Um, so none of this surprised me. None, none of the terrible things that he does ever surprises me. It's ultimately you're just going to justify the American war machine or the war machine in general. Like it's just it's just what he does. Right. And then we had uh, a Wall Street Journal piece by one Stephen Stalinsky titled "Welcome to Dearborn." <laughs> America's jihad capital. I mean, I, I just, I don't, I don't have the words. I don't know what year we're in sometimes because like, how is this, how is this being published? Would, would they tolerate that about any other group? I don't know. Maybe trans people, but yeah, yeah. trans people for sure. But like I live in Michigan. Dearborn is within easy driving distance of me. I can assure you it is not like, a haven for terrorists, you know, like we can talk about like sort of the political realities of having a large number of like very conservative Muslim people in terms of like their acceptance of gay rights. And I think that's a very conversation to have um, because there have been like issues around that in that area of the state, but also like they're not creating bombs in their, like the basis of their mosques or whatever, which is what all these people imply. Right. Well, the jihad capital would imply, yeah, there's like a fuckload of jihad happening everywhere. There's another one, Wall Street Journal, from the editorial board. Chicago votes for Hamas. Mayor Brandon Johnson Johnson supports a ceasefire, dot, 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 dramatic ellipsis there, dot, 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 in Gaza, not Chicago, which my... (sighs) The, Unreal. The, the, the racism packed into that one sentence, the, the sheer industrial levels of racism on multiple fronts just crammed into that one sentence. Yeah, man, credit where it's due. It's like they sure packed a lot of it in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the smearing of anyone pro-Palestinian right now is pro-Hamas. Like, when you see that... There's like, I don't know, 300,000 people out in London. Well, guess what? That's an entirely pro-Hamas march. Every single person came out to support Hamas and their actions. I mean, it's it's insane. How are they, yeah. how are they making these claims? We have people on British television routinely talking about this, the, the outrageous, terrifying anti-Semitism of people having Palestinian flags, you know, just publicly flying a Palestinian flag is is apparently equivalent to genocidal anti-Semitism. Um, yeah. I think I shared with you the thing where um, the former politics editor of the Sun newspaper was on yeah. television. And he's talking about, he was talking about the fact that the Labour Party in Britain dropped a candidate i think it was the rochdale by-election candidate they dropped the guy because there's somebody somebody uh, released a recording of him making statements that actually are legitimately anti-semitic so okay fair enough drop the guy that because that's bad what he said was bad i'm fine with them dropping him for that but then you have kavanaugh that's the guy's name coming on the uh, the television and he says 
Well, uh, I've got it here, actually. Most of the measures taken by Keir Starmer to keep the lid on the anti-Semitism, the Labour Party, because we're going, we're, we're still dealing with the, just the given that the Labour Party is just riddled with anti-Semitism, you know, to a, to an unusual degree um, in British politics. Right, not, right. That's a holdover from the whole anti-Corbyn smear thing. Um, measures taken, Keir Starmer, keep the lid, uh, mostly cosmetic, uh, simply because a 30% vote in constituency like Ro constituencies like Rochdale are anti-Semitic. He added, by the very definition, because there's a lot of Muslims in places like that, that's what he means. He added, by the very definition of Islam, by the, by the very definition of being a Muslim voter, you're going to be anti-Jewish. That was said yeah. on television. And the hosts yep. didn't push back at all. They just nodded. I just, I, I, it's so dangerous to, and just wild to have that assumption that just by being Muslim, that makes you anti-Semitic. As if Muslims are not diverse people that live in the modern world, that don't, like, function like other people theists in the world it's just it's so gross it's so gross it's Hi, a way to justify racism against muslims you you, you put Hello, your Caitlin. actual reasons into code and say well it's because they're all anti-semitic unlike us enlightened westerners well i don't want to bring it back to douglas murray but i am reminded of him calling homeschooling yes bring it to douglas murray please yes let's do this <laughs> When he called him the use of the first minister of Gaza, right? Um, yes, and said he's infiltrated. He yeah, infiltrated our system. Well, I know you and I were talking about the Rwandan genocide and the the propaganda there, right? And it's um, the same tactic of talking about infiltration and anybody who has any sympathy towards the massacred population is going to be um, treated as if not only are their, um, their affiliations in question, but also like their racial status is in question, like everything. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. who you are. If you have the wrong, um, the, the, you know, too much sympathy towards the people who are being, uh, attacked, then you are, everything about you is now redefined. Yeah. And also the similar tactic of, uh, inverting the narrative, right? Like, just like projecting everything that you're doing, you're causing the terror, you're slaughtering innocent people, but you're going to claim that they're the ones doing it. Right. Their playbook was these mirror accusations to, um, and like some people in Rwanda would actually listen to the radio broadcast to hear what they were being accused of to understand what was about to be done to them. Oh my God. It's so horrifying. I know. <laughs> Um, and then the other thing was about the women and children, right? The infiltration. They talked about women and children as snakes that would come in to attack the minds of the good, upstanding people of Rwanda to, to eat. you know, they talked about degeneration as well. It's all, it's the same stuff. Yeah. This stuff always gets recycled and used again and again and again. And the people in power just let it happen again and again and again. And we just never learn fucking humans. But um, aside from those headlines, I also wanted to talk about some of the very stark contrasts that we're seeing. Like we're seeing a headline about Palestinians saying that they're dying slowly 
and having to eat grass and drink like dirty, polluted water just to try and survive. Then in contrast, we see this Haaretz piece about like how the Israeli fine dining scene is suffering after uh, the attacks of October 7th because the Michelin star people aren't coming around or something like that. Then we see like a Haaretz piece about how difficult it must be for the soldiers who have to kind of make do with the ingredient or like they're, they're being creative and uh, using ingredients that they find in the houses that they've like forced people out of and bombed. And they're like cheering themselves up by doing these little like cooking things and then, you know, plating things nicely to uplift their moods. And then we have the, Super Bowl slash bombing in Rafa juxtaposition. Oh. And it's just so incre- so many incredibly, unbelievably fucked up contrasts that we're seeing. I've, I've really been sicker than immediately after that when people were just ecstatic about that stupid tweet from Biden where he does the dark Brandon thing about, you know, or oh, just like we planned. Right. And it's like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. He's, he's totally owned the, the MAGA conspiracy theorists who were talking, you know, all that incredibly significant stuff about their conspiracy theories about Taylor Swift and the Super Bowl and everything. Oh, wow. President Biden, isn't he, you know, this is at the exact moment that the, the, the Rafa bombing, that uh, he's 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 you know he's more than complicit in it. That's what people people say. You know, the, the Biden administration's complicit in genocide. They're not complicit. They're involved. They're doing it. Yeah, yeah. They're directly. Yeah. Uh, just to just to put a point in this, uh, the uh, Biden administration is also like tweeting about how great they are in terms of they're going to actually control the border. The, the southern U.S. border, as opposed to the Trump administration, which only pretended to do to, uh, you know, build the wall, etc. And which case, like, even the Democrats are openly embracing embracing a like fascist impulse at this point. And it's whenever you see horrifying. that, like, a uh, more centrist party is trying to go for the same talking points as right wing or far right parties to kind of win voters, it never works out for them because people will always kind of gravitate. If people who are interested in those things will gravitate towards the original, more fascist version. So do, them do, you trying, the, do you want the real fascist or the fake fascist? Do you always want the real fascist? It's easy. <laughs> you don't want the diet fascism. Well, I watched this happen in real time in Britain with, um, the uh, the UKIP the UK Independence Party and Nigel Farage relentlessly promoted by uh, the BBC and the British media generally but most shamefully shamefully by the BBC and the this right wing xenophobic um, sort of hyper Toryism um, and both the mainstream parties started chasing it Labour and Conservative both started trying to take over and and make their own UKIP talking points. And the effect was not to neutralize UKIP. The effect was to empower UKIP 
and we all know where that went, right. and to ratchet the attitudes of the entire culture rightward. That's what happens when you do that. When you chase right-wing policies, you don't you don't neutralize them by absorbing them. They absorb you. Yeah. Incredibly fucked up times. Like I I don't know if I if I felt like this hopeless in 2016. I don't think I did, but like yeah, it's only gotten worse. It's only gotten worse, and uh, you know our centrist uh, people are out of here. It looks like, and the extremely fashy ones are going to be in their places if they don't change what they're doing. So, and it doesn't look like they will. And uh, yeah, <laughs> very depressing, depressing times. And, uh, I mean, can you, can you imagine we had a fucking MAGA beheading? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was it's very actually, new. Yeah. How is that? I, I had to, like, check again and again. Like, what, how, was it real? Like, did it happen? Yes, it did. But it, it didn't really capture people's attention for too long. There's a great episode of It Could Happen Here with uh, Garrison Davis or Gare Davis and Robert Evans uh, covering that, by the way, if people are interested in the uh, nitty gritty details. Um, highly recommended. All right. Uh, I will check it out. But uh, from my surface level glancing at the stories, it seems like the guy was talking about woke mobs, gender ideology, illegal immigrants, and beheaded his dad, who was a federal worker, and then held up his dad's head in a plastic bag on a live stream. Um, That's right. Like, being, a, being a federal, being a civil servant, basically. That meant he was part of the government. So Right. And I think people briefly circulated some fake screenshots about it, like about him being anti Trump, but then it turned out that he no, he actually was like pro Trump. Oh, and yeah. uh, like the, the mass shooter recently that the the entire right have just decided to believe was trans. Right. On one lie that somebody told in the initial aftermath that has since been completely debunked, but it's just a fact now, as far as they're concerned. It's yet another trans shooter, you know, in the in the constant avalanche that we have of those. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Or in the constant avalanche of lies that they keep making up. But um, and then there was like a non-binary person who was like beaten to death in school. And I mean, this rhetoric has serious consequences. Oh yeah, and it, that was. Well, I think that was in the um, Oklahoma school district as well, wasn't it? Or at least it was in a. It was in a district that uh, uh, Chaya Rachik had uh, targeted. Yes, um, I believe so. Directly, um, you know, traceable to her stochastic terrorism. That's right. That was in Oklahoma. Um, their district had been spoken about a few months prior by Raychick, um, and they had also recently adopted a bathroom restriction in the school district. So incredibly fucked up, the times that we're living in. I know I keep saying it, I keep saying it, but I don't know yeah. what else to say. Like, and it's a, terrifying. A very similar case in this country um, of a, um, 
a trans a, a young trans person who was murdered the the case recently um ended you know with conviction of the of the murderers and the entire stinking despicable bigoted british news media which bears so much responsibility for for this for for just peddling constantly peddling just filth about trans people um which is inevitably going to lead to this sort of thing they all you know after the verdict they all immediately went into own ass covering mode with the the ones that covered it at all were were explaining to you about how it was caused by basically anything other than the relentless waves after wave after wave of anti-trans propaganda that they pump out that's right right. and the the oklahoma one their name was next benedict and they uh we've had to look at all these headlines of um it's like you know school district reeling after unexpected death of student it's like well let's talk about what happened (laughs) what happened is attacked by their classmates um, and they also are, you know, giving their dead name in, in these articles, and it's next. It's not anything else. Their name is next. And what about the person in the UK? Was it Brianna something? That's right, yeah. Brianna Gay, I believe. Yeah, G-H-E-Y. Gay? Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. But it's Brianna. Yeah. And then we Very have, um, sad. Our- our beloved Prime Minister making anti-trans jokes on the floor of the House of Commons while uh, Brianna's parents are present in the in the house. I saw that. Yeah. Despicable. Yeah. And her killer and, got a big old picture on the newspaper and was bragging about that. Like people need to realize that this rhetoric has real-world effects, whether it's in headlines, whether it's in, you know, bigoted caricatures or just dehumanizing on the news, talking about an entire group being anti-Semitic inherently or uh, being predatory, which is what they do with trans people, right? Like, it's the same kind of bigotry that they have against Muslims. Absolutely. Yeah, a different form of the same thing. Yeah. And both of them involve a lot of, like, um, sex-based and assault-based fear. Yes. You know, we're looking at um, all these people talking about, like, our lovely white girls are in danger from both Muslims and trans people. Right. Which is exactly what the, the Nazis did, by the way. Exactly. Well, you know, Nazi yes. propaganda, half of it is uh, insulting uh, stereotypes uh, of Jewish uh, people, and the other half is uh, stereotypes of the perfect blonde young uh, Aryan maiden, and uh, how the two should never That's be. right. It was yeah. the same deal, you know, this fear-mongering about rape of our young women. Yeah, and I mean, we had that in America, uh, where people used to fear-monger about black people in the same way. And about Chinese people around the time of the Chinese Exclusion Act. Uh, I think there was a time that Chinese restaurants, like it was actually forbidden for white women or something to go into Chinese restaurants. They had to have like a, a chaperone because they were afraid that like Chinese men would seduce their women in these like crazed opium dens. Well, I think so it's like, we're actually speaking on the anniversary of the um, the infamous order to um, force Japanese-Americans into camps. I believe it's the anniversary today. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 
racialized uh, sexual and reproductive control. It's all in the same kind of bucket. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, the point of talking about it is so that people recognize it when they see it, like, out in the wild, which you're going to see a lot of in different situations. And, like, whether you're in the new atheist scene and you're seeing Ayan Hersi talking about how black and brown men are migrating to Europe to rape white women, or whether you're consuming, like, Israeli media and you're hearing them talk about Palestinians in that way, or whether you're consuming British media and you're hearing about them fearmonger about trans people in that way. And not that they don't do it in North America as well, but I mean, you know, like you, you have to recognize that it's the same, same hatred. And unless we like kind of deal with that problem, not as an individual instance, but as the the nature of the thing itself, you, you'll keep getting fooled into being carried along with different forms of bigotry. You know, like some people can be very against anti-Semitism, but be very okay with anti-Muslim bigotry or very against anti-Muslim bigotry, but very okay with homophobia. Unless you recognize that it's all the same thing and it can turn around and come for you and your loved ones. Like, you can always be participating in something horrific. So, yeah, that's a, a good place to end, I think, unless anyone has any closing remarks. I just want to thank you for doing this space. It's, it's important to keep talking about the tricks that are being played on us. Yeah. That's yeah. Pretty much what I was going to say. Very welcome. Yeah, no, and thank you guys for, for coming. It's always so good to talk to you, even when the subjects are difficult. You make it easier so i'm glad we can get through this together and yeah it, it, i think it's very important to keep talking about it and keep calling it out and uh don't be fooled by centrist ass covering because <laughs> yeah. that tends to happen like as it gets worse and worse and more blatant more people will start to do like get into this ass covering mode that Jack was talking about. And they'll be like, yeah, 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 it's bad. It's bad. But they'll make like these horrendous, like comments along the way that will tell you that actually they're still holding a lot of bigotry. So learn to recognize that because that is uh, something that fools a lot of people like, Oh, look, they're saying that it's bad, but, but, you know, you got to look at the butts and, well, oh God, that doesn't sound very nice, but you got to examine how people are. <laughs> Don't look at butts. I did not tell you to do that. I will tell you to do that. If you please, as you know, if, the, if you take only one thing away with from respect, this. With respect, look at butts. <laughs> it's great. Just do it privately in your own head. It's fine. Just enjoy the butts that are in your life. And if you want to explore those, do it with consent. That's, that's what I've had on. Um, you know. um, more seriously, I would say um, I said in like... 
2020 that all this shit is going to get really complicated and uh, we're just going to have to learn to explore that. And then I got sick and uh, was out of this thing and for like a year and a half, basically. But we're back. And if anything, I think we're back stronger than ever, ever. And I'm hoping to keep exploring these details. But ultimately, the only thing I have to say is uh, bash the fash. Just, just... Don't you mean politely debate them and gently... I do not. (laughs) I do not mean that. No, no, no. That is not what I mean. Why do you need free speech, Daniel? (laughs) I actually love free speech. I am a very big fan of the government not being uh, in favor of uh, like suppressing free speech because I would be suppressed in that regime. Um, but also, like confront your local fascists, make them own the thing that they own, and your centrist normie like bullshit like from the person that we have not named in particular. Um, you no, know, that person should be challenged at every opportunity. Whatever he or they or she or whatever, but his name is Shmam Shmaris, um, that person should be challenged constantly. In every or at the very country. least, framed responsibly. Like, I just want to yeah. shout out Matt Lick's show, Left Reckoning. They just did, they just did a little bit covering Sam Harris and the even down to the thumbnail. It's like a picture of Sam from the IDW stupid photo shoot in the bushes with the giant word fanatic right all over him. Because that is the responsible way to frame someone who denies and apologizes for and pushes propaganda for like severe, severe atrocities. It's not right to frame him like a reasonable intellectual. You wouldn't do it for a Holocaust denier and you shouldn't do it for a genocide denier of Palestinians and uh, you certainly shouldn't do it for someone who's as openly fine with ethnic cleansing as he is. And yeah, I think responsible framing is everything like when talking about these kinds of people. Like Sam has been pushing great replacement rhetoric for what maybe a decade or more now and he has never been treated as like the insanely alex jonesian freak that he is that uses eurabia far-right conspiracy theory books as sources as legitimate sources of information and uh, without that framing, people keep walking away with the impression that he's a reasonable intellectual um, that you can have just some like little disagreements with, and that's yeah. not that's not correct. I think so. the, the key thing is always to 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 try to see past the aesthetics, because so much of politics is is aesthetics, and the further right you go, the more of it just consists entirely of aesthetics. And I think that the thing to do is to always try to see past the the picture that somebody's trying to paint for you you know whether it's uh, um whether it's the the biden administration performing humanitarian concern about the the gazan people in the midst of a genocide that they are actively funding or whether it's the idf or whether it's sam harris 
Chris or, or whoever, um, don't, you know, just, I mean, you know, I presume to give anybody advice, but this is, this is the way I try to do it. Always try to look beyond the, the, the aesthetics that you've been presented with. Um, don't just ever take aesthetics for granted. I mean, look, look at the material conditions and analyze yeah. it on that context. That's, 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 that's something that I'm sorry, Jack taught to me in like 10 years ago, right? You know, and like Jack has been an enormous influence on my personal politics in terms of, like, I was probably like a democratic socialist or something like, you know, when we met, I was a very good liberal. I was very in favor of the democratic party and whatever the democratic party said. And he taught me better without even meaning to, he just produced content and, uh, gave me the tools that I needed to do the analysis. And I don't speak German would not exist in its current form without Jack giving me those tools of analysis. So, um, yeah, it ultimately what you have to do is look at the material conditions always and like what is actually being provided to people by the rhetoric. And once you understand that, I think you're like 90% of the way of having like, good politics and remember that we're always talking about people you know that so much of it is is an attempt to just elide that or hide it or escape it or whatever no that everybody involved is a person you know you can depict them as a rat if you like they're still a person right yeah all right well thank you everyone and uh, to uh, celine who i see is listening go and read celine's book um who's afraid of degrowth it's really good. There are two people I know personally who are listening right now, and uh, shout out to them. So Awesome. And shout out to I Don't Speak German, which is back. And we're back. We're back and better than ever is what I consider. So Yeah. You know. Everybody give their episode a listen and... Shout out to Polite Conversations. Yeah. Also a show that you might know. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. All right, everyone. Take care. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Cheers.